Hello everyone and welcome to today's episode of the PM245 Homiletics Podcast. Today we're going to be talking about the theology of preaching. Now normally this class would be dedicated to spending some time discussing the book that you read by Kessler, uh, Folly, Grace, and Power. Hopefully you've had a chance to complete and submit that book review and hopefully you found it both a practical and enjoyable book. Among the theologies of preaching that I've read, I've found it the most approachable and helpful. So instead of that normal discussion, though we'll try and do some by Zoom and by GroupMe, but instead of that discussion, today I want to share with you the preaching theology of several other theologians. In particular, I want to pay attention to John Calvin and to Karl Barth. The Barth component of this podcast is available on your PowerPoints in PowerPoint 2.8, so feel free to download that and follow along. But before we turn to Barth, I want to look at an earlier Reformed figure uh, known as John Calvin. Many of you are familiar with Calvin, but I doubt any of you have read a text called The Summary of Doctrine Concerning the Ministry of the Word and Sacraments. If you ever get the chance, it's a very concise look at Calvin's view of the theology of preaching. And you can find it in the Ichthys version, uh, which are the same anthology that we used in Historical Theology 1, the Ichthys version titled Calvin Theological Treatises. We have several in maybe library, so you may jot that down for a future date. I'm going to read a quote from Calvin. Calvin says, The whole end of gospel ministry is that God, the fountain of all felicity, or happiness, communicate Christ to us, who are disunited by sin and hence ruined, that we may from him enjoy eternal life, that in a word, all heavenly treasures be so applied to us that they be no less ours than Christ himself. I think it's important to clarify here what Calvin means by the word communicate. To communicate is to transmit something from one to another. And so we typically view this word in terms of spoken communication. I am communicating to you right now, though there's a time lapse here in the recording. But communication can move beyond a spoken word. To transmit something from one to another might be far more ontological, which means it might relate far more fundamentally to our very nature and being. And that's what Calvin has in mind when he says that preaching is for communication. The words that we speak are intended, according to Calvin, to bring Christ into union with us. So that moving from a state of being disunited from God by sin, we might instead be united to Christ himself. This might sound familiar to those of you who are currently enrolled in historical theology too, where we spoke about Calvin's understanding of union as underlying what's known as the duplex gratia, or double gift, double grace, of sanctification and justification. By justification, we receive a new status in Christ, and by sanctification, our nature is renewed by the power of the Holy Spirit so that we are holy. 
Calvin says that both of these phenomena are rooted in something known as union. Spiritually, our human nature is connected to Christ's human nature such that we share its status in justification and we are transformed into its holiness through sanctification. Those of you in historical theology, too, may also remember that the purpose of the Eucharist, according to Calvin, is to facilitate this growth in union. The sacrament provides a unique opportunity for our union in Christ by uniquely empowering faith. Sola fide. Faith alone is the means by which we are saved. What's interesting, though, is that Calvin draws parallels between preaching and between the Lord's Supper, or Eucharist. If salvation involves a mystical and spiritual union with Christ, and if the Spirit is the one who affects this union, and here I could direct you to read Romans 8, then it must be that the Spirit's work through preaching is able to lead to an increase in union. And it's very important to Calvin to emphasize that this is not by our works or merit, which takes some pressure off of the pastor. It's not the pastor's character or skill or preparation that ensures the effectiveness of the Spirit's work here. To affect the union, the Spirit does still choose to use created means. So it's not based on our merit, it's not based on our skill, but it is also not an unexpected and abrupt appearance of the Spirit without any historical context or preparation. The Spirit uses the preaching of the Word and the provision of the Lord's Supper and baptism to affect this union. Now, there's a lot that needs to be clarified there, particularly in terms of baptism, which in the Reformed context is typically infant baptism. But we're going to table that for now and instead focus on preaching. You see, what this means for Calvin is that we can think of there being both a primary and a secondary cause of the effect of union. So in comparison, we can look at this podcast here. Uh, so Jordan or Jenna, they're at home and they're snuggy. They're listening to this right now. And the primary cause of this content that's bringing them such joy as they're cuddled up in that made-for-TV product is me sitting down and recording this message. But the secondary cause is actually the software that makes this recording available to them through the internet or through the data available on their phone. So when Jordan is sipping on his nice cup of hot chocolate in that Snuggie, and listening to me, we can say the primary cause is my recording and the second is the technology. In a similar way, when you're listening to preaching, perhaps at home and you're snuggy with hot chocolate during the pandemic, the preacher is a cause, as is the spirit. In this case, the spirit is the primary cause and the preacher is the secondary the Spirit uses the words of the preacher to affect the growth in faith and a strengthening of our union with Christ, through which we grow in sanctification. So the preaching is an indispensable component of union, but it is ultimately a means used by the Spirit, 
and not a good work or a skill that brings about salvation on human effort. So that's Calvin's theology of preaching. And I think it encourages us to both recognize that preaching is essential and that God's grace covers over a number of homiletic sins. Lack of preparation and lack of skill may not impede the effectiveness of the Spirit, though we are charged to be responsible and therefore to prepare and grow as best as we are able. Hence, you're being included in this class. So that's Calvin's view on preaching. I find it helpful, but I want to introduce you to one more theology of preaching, and this is the theology of Karl Barth, which you can see on PowerPoint 2.8 if you want to bring that up to look at along with me. Barth is the founder and the largest figure in the neo-Orthodoxy movement, a 20th century modern theological movement that sought to return to classical doctrines against Protestant liberalism, but which articulated these doctrines in a slightly modified way. Much of his theology was a response to the embarrassment that he felt in preaching. All of the academic tools that he learned in seminary did not prepare him for being a preacher in a French or Swiss congregation. Excuse me, I said French, German or Swiss congregation. More than that, Bart actually was noted for repeatedly preaching in prisons. And I can tell you from personal experience, that is also quite challenging. And a lot of times it feels like there's not much that you learn in an academic education that spills over into those preaching contexts. I remember one of my first classes of basic Christian doctrine that I taught, and we had a theology and ministry minor in the class, and her repeated concerns and objections were that she could not see where this content prepared her for any teaching and preaching in ministry. I've taken that to heart and am continually trying to improve there, but Bart tries to show how preaching must be rooted in sound theology, while also critiquing the liberalism of his day as inadequate theology. So let's look at Bart's early theology of preaching. I've got a good source there for you, and I'm going to be drawing up a lot of quotes from it to discuss briefly. The fundamental question, according to Bart, is the question not of how we can, excuse me, not of how we do preach, so not method, not Robinson, but of how we can preach. What must be true in order for me to be able to speak truthfully of God and to be able to speak on behalf of God? So here's a quote from Bart. He says, What else can theology be but the truest possible expression of this quest and questioning on the part of the minister? The description of this embarrassment into which a man falls when he ventures upon this task and out of which he cannot find his way. A cry for rescue arising from great need and great hope. If you really stop to think about it, it's an audacious claim to be able to say that I can speak on behalf of God, and an audacious claim to say that I can even know who this God is. And much of Bart's early theology emphasizes the unknown and hidden nature of God, as well as God graciously revealing himself through his son, Jesus Christ. Now, Bart explains the fundamental question in the context of a few situations. 
situation one is that a human may choose to be a minister. But then how does that person know that they are chosen by God? Many of you want to go into ministry, most of you even. How do you know that you're chosen by God and that you didn't just choose this course because you liked your youth minister or because you enjoy the attention you get in preaching or because you're interested in it? Bart's answer is, the preacher who has made this choice must simply wait. They must audaciously wait for an event. They wait a time when God will reveal himself to them and through their work to others. And so our choice to be a minister, Bart said, leads us to what he calls the edge of an immeasurable event. We are we have gone as far as we can right to the brink, but we cannot go there ourselves. What are we at the brink of? God's self-revelation. He's making himself manifest to a created world that cannot know him of their own efforts. The second situation is the preacher who's struggling with the question of, how is what I'm doing unique? What's the difference between a sermon on Sunday morning and between a TED Talk? Well, one is that the TED Talk on average is going to have 10,000 more, 10,000 times the number of views and listens that a sermon will, sometimes millions of times more. How does our encounter with God through a sermon, how is that different from a spiritual experience we might have at a symphony? or in seeing the sun rise in a morning, or through an accountability relationship with a friend. Bart notes that so often our stories will, our life testimonies and narratives will include examples of when God reached us through nature. God reached us through a friend who had an impact on us. For my own part, I always think back to several friends in high school who first introduced me to the gospel, and first challenged me to reach to read the New Testament. How is what they did any different from preaching? Bart's question here, he answers by pointing to two ultimates, ultimate questions and ultimate events. The ultimate question, or what he calls the most profound questions, are an important component of preaching. We are asking about the nature of reality, the identity of God, our eternal fate, salvation, what is the good, what is truth, what is community intended to be about. These ultimate questions should be the subject of preaching and not more trivial matters as are often seen in the pulpit in Bart's mind, in sermons that are decked out with heartwarming stories and encouraging anecdotes. That is not what preaching is about. Bart shares a story. He says, I think of what a Benedictine from Alsace once told me. It was during the World War, World War I. One evening, being choir master of his monastery, he was chanting the Magnificat with his confreres when suddenly a French shell crashed through the roof and exploded in the nave of the church. But the smoke thinned away and the Magnificat continued. He said, I ask you whether a Protestant sermon would have continued. 
this monastery was bombed, they survived, and got up and carried on with their worship because they believed it was the thing of most ultimate importance, even more important than evacuating from that church. Do we view preaching as that important? And moreover, are we preaching content that is that important, or are we paying attention to more trivial matters? Now, given our context so that I'm not misunderstood, I'm not advocating that we all attend church this Sunday, despite the stay-at-home orders of our various communities. The Benedictine monk in Alsace was not facing a situation where continued worship would lead to the injury and death of others, as might be the case if we gather for preaching. I'm not claiming that. I am claiming that we should question whether the content we are attempting to bring through the sermon is of such ultimate significance that we would value it above other concerns, such as moving to a place of more protection or restoring some of the damage that had been done to the sanctuary through this bombing. Proclamation is unique because it asks ultimate questions but it is also unique because it results in the ultimate event, the self-revelation of God. People are seeking God when they come to church. If preaching gives them heartwarming stories instead, then the preacher has failed them and the congregation member will leave. So, the fundamental question, how can we preach? We can preach because of the audacity of waiting on God to reveal himself. We can be unique because we preach ultimate questions in awaiting this ultimate event. A third situation that Bart explores is the fact that we preach the Bible, in which God brings the ultimate answer and seeks a people willing to ask the right question. This is an interesting way of putting it. We're preaching the Bible, so we are giving the ultimate answer but are people interested in the right question? If you've ever paid attention in chapel on campus, you know the answer is often no. People are on their phones. People are asleep. People are completely disinterested. Bart says the ultimate question is the cross. If the congregation is seeking to understand the cross and what it is, what it is about then the event of God's self-revelation will be an answer to them. God is seeking a people. This is not in a Pelagian sense. Bart would agree that people will only seek the cross if the Spirit is at work in them. But the truth is, the preacher alone is not the one responsible for the sermon, and the preacher must recognize that. The ultimate event of God's self-revelation does not depend merely on the preacher, but upon the spiritual preparedness of the congregation, who is waiting in eager expectation of this self-revelation. And that is theologically what's happening in a church sermon. Bart expands on this in his later church dogmatics. I'm going to be a bit quicker here as I explore this theology. But in the dogmatics, Bart reveals that there is a threefold form of the Word of God. The Word is the Son of God, eternally spoken by the Father, and made flesh, according to John chapter 1. 
The Word is the Bible, which is the Spirit-inspired testimony to this event of divine self-revelation. But the Word is also the proclamation of the sermon, which is the articulation and explanation of that text to the people of God in order to reestablish that audacious event of God's divine self-revelation. Because of this, Bart will say, the Word of God preached is man's language about God on the basis of an indication by God himself, fundamentally transcending all human causation, and so devoid of all human basis, merely occurring as a fact and requiring to be acknowledged. In other words, proclamation is primarily a divine event because it is primarily about the self-revelation of God. It is an event that refers to the text of the Bible, which the Bible itself is an event that refers to the incarnation of the Son, the Word made flesh. Now, this Word is freely revealed by God in grace, and it is a revelation that immediately demands and deserves our obedience. Finally, this is a miraculous event. It is It is an event in which God turns our language, in whatever form of sermon we've written, into his language. And on the basis of this, Bart explains the doctrine of the Trinity. He explains the Trinity from this threefold form of the word of God and from the event of God's self-revelation. God must be the revealer of this preached word. And so that is the Father. But God also must be the word revealed, for if our preaching is only a human construction, like poetry, or like a soliloquy, or like any other spoken form of communication, then it is not the event of God's self-revelation. If it is a means of recreating the incarnation of the word, then it is revelation. And so God the Father is the revealer of God the Son, who is the revealed God. Finally, recall that Bart said the congregation might not receive that event and might not experience it. In order to understand the word or apprehend it, to use Bart's language, then that apprehension itself must be enabled by God. And that is the Holy Spirit. The Father speaks the word of the Son, who is incarnate in history in the flesh of his body, as well as, in a subsidiary sense, in the words of our sermon that make the Son real and present. Finally, God is the Spirit who is working in the audience and in the preacher himself so that this spoken event is not only a possibility, but is actually manifest in God's revealedness to us. Fairly complex theology here. But actually, preaching lies at the root and the heart of one of the more famous and complex theologians of the 20th century. And in fact, the multi-volume Church Dogmatics that I have up on my bookshelf in my office, in which we have copies of in the library, the entire thing is based on this first volume and its fundamental insight on preaching. So can there be a robust theology of preaching? Certainly. And hopefully you've learned something about it today. If you have any questions, feel free to reach out to me. Grab the closest copy of Karl Barth's Church Dogmatics or that uh, collection of theological treatises from Calvin. 
and read to your heart's delight. Wish you all the best as you finish up this first week of online classes. I look forward to seeing some of you on our Zoom conference calls upcoming. For now, this is Glenn Butner signing out for the Homiletics Podcast. <laughs>